Listen, I'm really grateful to be able to move on to chapter 5. And as you know, I have mentioned now several weeks in a row, uh, oftentimes James is called and, and viewed as the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And so it's super practical and, and uh, pretty easy to kind of take away what we need to take away. And for that reason, some look at it as kind of an easy book. But we have been discovering that it's not easy on us it's just not difficult to understand what James is saying, right? It, there are some really pointed things. So find your way to James chapter 5 so we can do that again today together. And uh, while you're making your way there, in fact, grab your bulletin while you're at it. Your, your notes are available. This is so that you can be ready for your small group, right? And uh, man, those are coming up. It's going to be this fall. We're going to be starting up a small. We had two uh, back in the spring. We're going to have four small groups, I believe, uh, come this fall uh, at Coastal, so I'm super excited about that, down here in Hampton anyway, and uh, so uh, be prepared, start getting in the habit of taking notes, that's kind of your preparation for small group time. But I want to remind you of a couple of things to think about. One is children's ministry. As we continue to grow, we have more kids, and uh, so we are looking not only to up our staffing for our current children's ministry, which is from birth to age, uh, or rather grade three, but we want to expand that, and our plan is to do so in the next few weeks through fourth and fifth grade, so we have that every week. And uh, so we want, if you're uh, at all interested and uh, feel the Lord tugging at your heart to do a little something in serving him, that would be a great spot to fill in. Another of them is with our production team, which is basically makes Sunday morning happen, right? Some of that has to do with helping to run the sound or the media or, or preparing those things. Basically, anything that makes Sunday morning worship service happen is the production team. So we could sure use your help. Listen, I, I want to... I want to voice my gratitude again. I, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Rachel is now Hampton's worship leader, which I'm super happy and excited about, and I know you're growing to love her, and uh, she also works in production, and uh, so here's the deal. When she's up here, she can't be working production, right? And if there's something not right, it, it plays with your mind when you're up here and something's not right that you usually are responsible for. So help her out. Join the production team. And uh, there's a training today after this service. I'm told it's going to last about a half hour or so is all. So it's not a long thing. And uh, you can go and get some information. You don't have to be trained. We're just there to help you understand what it's about, okay? And then one other thing before I jump in. Next Sunday, I'm really excited. I want you to know our senior pastor of Coastal is going to be here at our campus uh, here in Hampton, Pastor Sean Brown. And uh, you don't want to miss the opportunity to hear him open the scriptures. He's a gifted expositor. And uh, so plan to be here next Sunday for sure and uh, enjoy uh, what he will bring. All right, chapter five of James, man, this is more rough stuff. And uh, I, I want you to know that the temptation with sections like this 
the first four words have a temptation to us to just flip the switch off, right? Come now, you rich. And half of us at least are thinking, oh, good, this is for somebody else, right? Listen, if you have more than you need, that's the kind of person you're talking about, right? In the New Testament days, it was either you were really wealthy or you had nothing. There wasn't a middle class in the Roman Empire. So the middle class would be considered wealthy by the standards that James is thinking. So, okay, let's make sure we all don't shut this switch off. And uh, <laughs> this is really hard stuff. In fact, uh, I'm going to read down through these things, and you're going to find that James doesn't offer a lot of hope. This is a lot of judgment for how we handle money poorly, how we handle the fact that we have some wealth to our name. Now, we're going to go to some other places in Scripture. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to help us think about what God has given to us in a biblical fashion, right? So that's where we're headed today. But I want to make sure we heed the warnings of James. And he talks about several things here. The first that he talks about is treasure. I'm going to read actually the first three verses. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Every once in a blue moon, somebody says, Thanks, Pastor, that was such an encouraging sermon. It's usually not over texts like that, right? James is challenging people who are wealthy perhaps he's challenging the people he talked about back in chapter 2, the Christians tended, man, you patronize these people who are rich and they're the ones that are abusing you, but he's still writing to the people that he's writing to, right? So I'm not sure that he's changed his focus to talk to unbelievers. I think he's talking to believers and the danger of wealth. That's a real challenge to us because we live... In an affluent society, we live in a, in a culture that has a huge connection to things and possessions and money and investments and our wealth and our status. It is part of our cultural fabric to be concerned about how much do I have. In fact, what do we call it? Our net worth. What am I worth is tied up in our house and our land and our vehicles and our bank accounts and our investments, we consider that culturally to be a picture of what we're worth. James is warning against that. So that's where this is coming from, all right? So we need to, to work on changing our perspective. He's talking about riches, right, in these first couple of verses. It describes wealth as indicated in his day, right? Your garments and your gold and your silver, they had different sorts of riches than we do. But he's describing it that way. We might say our houses, our cars, our clothing, our investments. His concern is they've been storing it. Now I know. Somebody's going to immediately say, yeah, but doesn't it say somewhere in the Old Testament? Go to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. She puts it away in the summer, so she's good when winter comes. 
He's not arguing against having sufficient. He's arguing against storing it up. You have laid up treasure in the last days. That's an interesting phrase that we're going we're gonna to see again elsewhere in just a few minutes. But it's his way of saying that all the things we collect to ourselves, whether they're normally exempt from decay or not, gold is usually pretty stable stuff, right? He's referring to things that normally would not be subject to, to, to decay. We know our, our other stuff wears out, right? That's why we have to maintain it. You buy, even if you buy a brand new vehicle, you've got to maintain it or it's going to wear out. Or whatever it is you have, your clothes eventually wear out. All of our stuff decays and wears out. And even the stuff that we normally wouldn't consider to be that way eventually becomes, in the sight of God, worthless. So what are we doing accumulating as though it's just going to keep going on? Do you remember the story? I don't have it on the screen for you, but in Luke chapter 16 about the guy who was wealthy, he said that Jesus told this story. He said there was this guy. He had lots of stuff, crops, and he harvested all his crops, and he filled his barns. And then he said to himself, Jesus quoted him as saying in this parable, what am I going to do? I don't have room to store all my stuff, in his case, grain and crops. I know what I'll do, he said. I'll tear down these barns, and I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll sit back, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have things stored up for many years. And Jesus, in the parable, said, you fool. You don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring, and you're busy storing stuff. Have you, I know I'm going to pet to Medlin here, but have you gone through your attic lately just to see how much stuff you have stored in there? How many of us have rented a, what do they call them? Storage unit? Where we keep all the stuff we can't fit in our house, right? Why do those places make so much money? Listen, our Gloucester campus is renting a building that is at the front end of a storage place. And he has built more storage places because business is booming. Because everybody wants to store their stuff. What is the stuff we should be storing up? That's what I want to talk about for a minute. Storing the right Stuff And for that, I want to go to Matthew chapter 6 and, again, talk about something that Jesus discussed. Where he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasuring things by storing up treasure in heaven. How in the world do we do that? Let me give you some real practical examples. Some of you, I know, work in our food mission. That is part of what Coastal does to help care for people in need. 
some of what you give every week when you give to, to God through Coastal's offerings goes to our food ministry. We feed close to 1,000 people every month. On the third Saturday of the month, we have a, an opportunity at our Yorktown campus. People can come and get a week's worth of groceries. They literally walk around with a grocery cart. And we go with them and we engage them in conversation. Many times those result in, in gospel conversations or certainly at least conversations where we get to, to pray with someone and encourage them. And they, they leave with a cart full of groceries for their family, depending on how many are in their family. It's an incredible opportunity. Part of what you are giving, and listen, we, I'll tell you why we don't do food drives, by the way, in case you've always wondered that. Because we can buy the food cheaper if you just give us the money. All right, So that's why we don't have you bring in cans and stack them up in the corner somewhere. We can buy it through the food pantry in the area for the, for that, uh, that enables us to get more if we just use the money. Right, So that's why. It's an incredible opportunity. How about your giving in general? I know this isn't a, a, a lesson on giving. It's not a section of scripture talking about our giving to the Lord, but... How much are we giving that a priority? How are we looking at our finances to say, God, I want to make sure I'm using what you have entrusted to me to give back so that it can be used for ministry. But beyond what we give to our local church, what are we doing to care for other people? Here's what the rich young ruler's problem was. Have you thought about it from, from Mark chapter 10? He was, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, which, again, Jesus knows that, but he wanted him to think about it. Do you know the commandments? He said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He gave them the, the ending six, right? Or the, so. And he said, well, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth, which I realized they didn't have a category called adolescence in the Roman Empire, but nobody makes it through their teenage years always honoring mom and dad. So we probably have all at least a few times broken that one, right? I've, I've done all of these since my youth, he said. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Was Jesus suggesting, do you think, that... If we just sell everything we have and go live in an encampment somewhere that we'll have more treasure in heaven, I don't think that was Jesus' point. I think his point was the man had broken the first several commandments. He had other gods before God. And his God was money. His God was his stuff. His God was possessions. And he had a lot of them. And the idea that he would have to part with those to be faithful to Jesus made him walk away fascinating perspective on money. So he talks first about treasure. Secondly, he talks about justice. Verse 4. Be 
Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He's talking to people who have people working for them, right? Give them honest pay. Sure, you need to make money, but give them honest wages. Be faithful. Don't keep it all for yourself. Does that affect our view of what's fair and just in our society? I think this affects our attitude toward justice. When one person is able, because of their position or possessions or whatever, to hold another person back because they don't have all of that. That is unjust. And I think James is pointing that out. We can't act that way toward other people because God is listening. God is watching, perhaps you could write in there along with that. God is paying attention to how we treat people who don't have what we have. Perhaps if we want to be specific to the text, if we are in a position where we have some say over what the people who are under us in the organization have, we should be thinking about this. How does our view of justice affect how we treat the people around us? The Lord of hosts is listening. That is a term that is always used in the Old Testament to talk about God being in charge of his armies. It's not just a, it, it is certainly talking about how exalted he is and how majestic he is, but it's talking about his position as commander-in-chief. He's watching. Their cries have risen up to the Lord of hosts. Have we thought about the fact that God is ready to go to war against us when we demonstrate injustice to people? So he's talking about treasure. He's talking about justice. I think he's talking in verse 5 about our commitment to pleasure. You have lived life on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Even too hot for the lights. It's all right. Let me get this closer here. Here we go. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. Uh, we'll come back to that one. Our commitment to pleasure. His first challenge is don't get soft. We tend to enjoy the soft life, right? I know there are a few people who just seem to love it. They won't let up. They can't quit. They don't know when to sit down. But we live a life of convenience and ease, I remember when my wife and I bought our first microwave. I don't know, some of you probably never lived without one. There were days when you couldn't just pop it in and thaw it out because you just now remember to think about dinner. Or whatever you cook or heat up with your microwave. I remember the days when there were the percolators you plugged in and not just push a button and it drips and you're good, right? I, I know, I'm really old. I know, increasingly, I'm noticing that. Um, I remember when my wife and I bought our first colored television. How did we ever live without those things? Honestly, when, 
if you don't think about supper till 4.30, you don't have time to really cook, right? So I got to thaw it out quick so I can cook it quick. All the fast food restaurants make their living on the idea that we need to hustle in, grab something, keep on going, because we've got to keep moving, because it's just more convenient that way. If that's true, why are we among the most stressed nation of people on the planet? Because we have longed for convenience so much that it's ruling us. We invent gadgets to make our life easier. But we just can't keep up with enough inventions. I noticed driving last night. I have a truck now that knows when I need my high beams on. I don't even have to turn them on anymore. And when they're on, it knows that there's a car coming down the road that has their headlights on and my lights go to dim. I'm like, what in the world? I don't even have to turn my lights up and down in the truck anymore. Have we learned to love our pleasure and our convenience so much? We buy newer stuff and nicer stuff so we can get rid of the older stuff that's no longer nice enough to sit on or sleep on. Not because it's just completely worn out, but because we just like it soft. So I want to spend a few minutes in Luke chapter 9, if we could, and talk about discipleship. Luke chapter 9. Jesus, of course, is talking, challenging his disciples about what this takes. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Discipleship goes contrary to a consumer and a, a storage mentality. Discipleship says, of all the stuff that I have, none of it's really mine. Now, we're going to get to Paul's words to Timothy when he challenges people who are, who are rich, right? There are some things that we can do to make sure this isn't true of us. We don't have to just go out and have a huge yard sale. And just get rid of everything. That won't make us more godly. But the reality is, we can't be a disciple of Jesus if we're always concerned about what's mine. What's my stuff? It doesn't matter. I can gain everything and lose my life if I don't recognize that it doesn't belong to me. In fact, he said that very thing in chapter 14, just a few chapters later in Luke. He said, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So again, does that mean we have to get rid of it all? Certainly not. It means we have to take our hands off of it and recognize this all comes from God and belongs to God. So what am I going to do with it? That's the question. For a number of years, Jody and I served with a mission agency, and during that time, one of the families who was serving in Peru 
that part of their ministry was involved in, in missionary aviation, and they were in a horrible stake, mistaken identity case shot down by the Peruvian Air Force thinking they were drug traffickers. The husband lived, the son lived, the wife and their new baby were both killed. He said this about his wife. She didn't give everything up to go be a missionary. She had given everything up years ago. Being a missionary was just something that she went to do, having already done all of that. She didn't consider it to be hers. She didn't give her life the day she died. She gave her life to Jesus way before that. I don't give up my stuff. I don't just get rid of it all and say, okay, now I'm good. I learn how to use what belongs to God that he has entrusted to me for his glory. Including verse 6 now, he comes back and talks. So he's talked about treasure and justice and pleasure. And now he talks about mercy. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I think he's talking about mercy, taking care of the helpless. How are we doing that? What if it costs us something? Do you remember this Good Samaritan, right? We all love the story of the Good Samaritan. What a wonderful guy. But I wonder if I was walking down that road to Samaria and saw this guy beaten half to death on a road that was known for having burglars and criminals on it. I wonder if I would have stopped to help him. And I wonder if I would have paid the hotel bill and if I would have said to the guy running the inn, listen, when I come back, I'll pay up whatever else it takes, get him back to health. I don't know. I would like to say I would have done that. But I wonder how much we take care of the helpless. What are we doing? Not, please, Coastal is working at being connected in our community and helping in our community. But don't look at what is the church doing. Ask, what am I doing to show mercy to other people? How am I helping? For Pete's sake, take a backpack home and fill it up. Can we do that much for starters, right? Get a backpack, put it in there, give it to a kid who, whose family doesn't have enough to give them school supplies to get started. It's merciful. It doesn't have to, you don't have to give a thousand dollars. He's referencing an attitude. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. They will receive mercy. God blesses those who are merciful. So in our thoughts to take home, I want to talk briefly about God's plan for our money. And that's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because, as I've said a couple of times now, I don't believe that God has any reason to suggest that we can't be wealthy, that being wealthy is a bad thing. Here's what instead God says about it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, and 
this isn't part of the thoughts to take home, but I do want you to notice God sees a distinction between rich here and rich in heaven. And we've seen that in the other passages we've looked at. Store up treasure in heaven. But as for you who are rich in this present age, who have some wealth, charge them, he says, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't trust it. That's part of God's plan for your riches. Don't trust in them. And I didn't put in, don't get prideful. Listen, just because you work at a good job and make good money doesn't give you a reason to be prideful. God gave you the ability to do that job. God gave you the health to keep that job. There's nothing to be proud of. If you have a lot of money, thank God for it. And don't trust your wealth. Right? I mean, we know that. We, we watch it. We watch it in seasons, right? Right now, nobody's trusting their wealth that's tied up in the stock market because who knows what's happening there. Nobody's, we're, we struggle when we hit a season of inflation. We're like, ooh, I should be careful. Why do we wait till there's inflation to be careful, right? Because it costs twice as much to fill your vehicle up as it did before. So I got to be careful. I don't want to travel as far or as often or whatever. Don't trust it. Do good with it. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I am to do good with my money. I am to use it to the glory of God and for the, the encouragement and assistance of others around me. God gave me money to do good with it, not to just store it up. So when we have opportunity, I don't pass this basket because I'm afraid that we're not going to make it down here. I pass the basket every week because I want you to have an opportunity to do good with your money. To show God, listen, at Coastal, when you become a member, we tell you in our, in our agreement with each other that we're going to give a tithe. You know why? Because when I give up 10% of my stuff, I trust God to take care of me with the other 90. It's a, it's a demonstration to him of my trust. It's a, it's a proof to me. I can trust God to do this. I get paid every two weeks at Coastal, and the first thing I do is sit down at my computer, and I give, and I have a little quiet worship time at my computer saying, thank you, God, for providing so generously for my family. Because what happens if we don't sit down right away and take care of that? We spend it, right? Oh, look, I have an extra whatever it is you would give. It's really important that we do good that we assist other people. God has given us wealth. Many times way beyond what we absolutely need to have. Don't trust it. Do good with it and build a good foundation. Verse 19, thus they are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is Truly life, he says. 
fascinating. We say, man, that's living. When a person has all of the luxuries of life. Boy, they're really living. And God says, use this for my glory. That's what's really living. Store up treasure in heaven. We, we are not eternally minded enough. I've heard over the years people talk about, man, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I'm not sure that's even possible. The people who are more heavenly minded are generally more good on earth. The people who spend more time focusing on the glory of God and what's, what he's got in store in the future, I've got all eternity to enjoy the more luxuries than I could imagine. Right now, God has given me what he's given me to use it to honor his name and glorify him because wealth is dangerous. God's plan for his money. Don't trust it. Do good with it. Build a good foundation. If we keep that attitude... We will handle our money differently. So, man, I'm telling you, when, when we talk about offerings or we talk about special giving or, or we come to a Christmas offering this, later this year or we offer backpacks, it's, we're not doing it because the church wants more money. That's one of the people, people's complaints about church, right? They're always asking for money. No, we're not always asking for money, first of all. And secondly... You need to use it somewhere, and God intends for you to do good with it. These are opportunities to do that. That's why we put these things together. We could just, you know, shut off all the doors and say, you know what? Inflation has set in. We're just going to pay for our people, and that's it. But that's not Coastal's way. We still want to do missions trips. We still want to reach into our community. We still want to build for the future and reach more people for the gospel. Yeah, that costs money. So that's why we take an offering. We want people to have an opportunity to do good and build treasure for the future. But, man, it's, it's way outside of Coastal, right? You have opportunities to serve the Lord with your wealth, with your possessions, with your home, with your whatever, in ways that Coastal will never see, never know. Do it. Let God be glorified through your wealth. Don't get trapped with the dangers of, that wealth can create. Be somebody different. Strong enough challenge for one day? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to pray here in just a second. I want to remind you as our worship team comes back that we're going to have people down here at the front. Uh, I know perhaps that's like a little awkward for you. You haven't seen that happen before, but man, come on down. If you want to take a minute and pray with somebody, they're, they're, not, they're not taking your name and, you know, going to necessarily check up on you unless you ask them to, but uh, come and have a word of prayer with them. Maybe you don't know for sure what it means to trust in Christ, to, to be forgiven for your sin and to, to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're not sure what that's even about. Talk to them about that. They would be delighted to do that. Maybe you got something coming this week and you just need a little prayer support. They, they would be happy to do that for you, okay? So come on down and do that, and we're going to sing and go out of here rejoicing, trusting the Lord. Uh, but let me pray first. Father in heaven, talking about money can make us uncomfortable because we really uh, have learned to rest in how much we have in what we're worth Lord, thanks for the reminder this morning that our worth is not found in what we have or own. Uh, our worth is found in Christ, who is worth 
all of our praise and adoration as we have sung in this service together. Uh, Lord, uh, give us a mindset that re-evaluates how we view our stuff. Thank you for being so generous with us, for giving us so much. We're very grateful, Lord, and I pray that we would be renewed in our commitment to use what you have given to us so that you can get greater glory. You've entrusted it to us. Help us to use it as wise stewards. Lord, I pray for the one that might be here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, that uh, for them this is perhaps new conversation even. Uh, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sin and literally rise again from the dead is incredible. You did that so we could have a right relationship to you. We repent of our sin. We believe in the gospel. We receive Jesus. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never done that, give them the courage to come and talk to to me or one of these uh, worship team members or one of the prayer team members up front so we can have the opportunity to show them from the scriptures how they can know their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to serve you. Be our vision today, Lord. Consume our thinking and our attention, for I ask in Jesus' name.